start with prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the, your word and for your just teaching us who we are. And we ask you to guide us as we study it. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, who we are in Christ, uh, access to God is what the topic is today. We're going to start in Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to read verse 13 and 18. I can bring to chapter 2 so it makes some sense. Something to knock, to, to knock some of the light down. Oh. oh. Yeah, we just opened the curtain. Paint, painted a little less white. Ephesians what? Chapter 2, starting at verse 13, and then, then verse 18. But now in Christ Jesus in whom in times past we were far off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. And then verse 18, For through him we have both access by one spirit unto the Father. I want to look at this because this is talking about access to God. And can you, if you think about this, this is kind of an amazing thing that we have access to God. Because Christianity is really one of the few places where they have a true access to God. Uh, Muslims have to pray at certain times, and they really are just given a repeat, repetitive prayer. They're not, they're not asking to pray. Uh, even in the Judaism, it's you pray, but you have to follow so many different rituals and everything. You really didn't have a, feel you have access to God. Uh, and when you're in any kind of legalistic system, you don't feel like you have access to God because you never feel like you're good enough or how good is good enough. Uh, and we as Christians have access to God. And, when, and I've talked about this many times is how precious it is that we do. Because if you think about this, access to the creator of the universe at any time that you want to approach him. Uh, and we've talked about this. How many of us could you even get in to see the mayor of Kingman, you know, easily? Much less a governor or a president or a king. Most of us will never, ever meet any of those those people. Uh, and yet God says, you have, I'm giving you access. How do we do it? But now in Christ Jesus. And we've talked about this term, in Christ, used 77 times in the New Testament. Gives us a little bit of a, a view of how important that phrase is, in Christ. Because we are saved and we are placed in Christ. We have the righteousness of Christ because we are in Christ. Uh, we are his children because we are in Christ. There's so many of these things that we look at. And if you want to do a, you know, a good study, read the verses sometime that are all in Christ. And find out what it really means to be in Christ. Maybe I'll do a study on this sometimes, but it, it would be, it, it is something that we can do. Uh, but the idea of being, we are in Christ. We have access to God because we are in Christ. And very important for us to look at. And then it says that we were, that you who were at times past far away. Before we were saved, we were far from God. We were not able to just come into his presence because our sin kept us from him. You know, kept him from us and us from him. Is that what nigh means? Nigh is near. The word they translated sometimes were far off is it actually is in times past. <laughs> uh, and before we were saved, we were 
we're far from God because of our sin kept him away from us, but his holiness keeps us from him. And when we sin and we're under conviction, sometimes we don't want to come near God because his holiness reveals to us how sinful we are. And that's when we need to repent and, and, and get, a, get a clean spirit before him and come before him. But I don't know if you've ever been there. Even as Christians, we can sometimes get there. If we're living a lifestyle that is not godly at the time, and we know it, and we know that we're, we're defeated at that point, there's times when we don't want to come anywhere near God. That's the times when we find it hard to read the Bible because we're sure that when we read the Bible, he's going to tell us that we need to repent and get right, and we're not ready to hear it. We don't want to be in church because we get convicted. Uh, there's people that you know that know you and know that you're a Christian that when they see you coming, they go on, I don't want to be around that person because they're bringing God into my life and they're going to convict me. And I've seen this happen in more than one time. You know, even before I was a pastor, pastors always bring this out of people. You know, they're always afraid of doing something wrong in front of pastors. Now, why they have that, I don't know. Because pastors aren't any more godly than anybody else. You know, but they, there's this tendency that the pastor... The pastor brings out this guilt in people. But I've also had it before I was a pastor, people, because I was in touch with God, and then you hopefully have been in that place where you bring God into a situation and people get a little nervous because God is there. And this is where we are. Sometimes we're far off. We don't even want to be near him because of our sin. There was a time when we were far off. We couldn't even be near him because of our sin, and we didn't want to be near him. If you think about it, before you're saved, you don't even really want to be with God. Yeah. Now, if you even think about God, it's some, oh, that, I don't want to have anything to do with that goody two-shoes stuff. You know, uh, God is good, and you know, I just feel bad when I'm around those Christians. You don't want anything to do with God. We still, as, sinner, as, as sinners and Christians, we can still have that same fact. If we're not following God and not trying to desire Him, and we're living in sin, we're going to be that same way. God, you know, just stay away, God. I'm not, I don't want this. And we see this when people who are strong Christians start moving away from the church. They move away from the church because of God being presented to them and they feel uncomfortable. Now, they'll blame all kinds of things and people and, and all of this, but it's God being presented to them and they pull away. And they'll tell you things, well, I'm, I'm worshiping God at home, I'm reading my Bible, and you know what, they might be doing that for the first couple weeks or a month. Eventually, they're going to stop reading the Bible, they're going to stop worshiping God, and they're going to find out a couple years later, or months later, years later, decades later, wow, whatever happened, I used to love God so much, and now I don't go anywhere near Him. And it's because they slowly slipped away into a lifestyle that doesn't support him because they were afraid of coming to God. And they drew further away. But Jesus, when we're in Jesus and we have his forgiveness, we're able to draw close to him. And, we, and hopefully you're in that place where you love coming close to God. Because there's great pleasure, great benefit. And you know, I'm coming more and more to realize that God wants us to take pleasure in him. He wants us to take pleasure in what we have, what he's given us. He's not looking at us to be, you know, old mopey, you know, sorrowful people that can't, you know, I've given up so much for God. I don't feel I've given up anything for God. He has given me so much in my life. He meets needs. He gives me peace. He gives me 
you know, an easy time, and I love where that's at. I don't, I don't feel like I've given up things. I've, and, I, and I've said this over and over. I know there's a heaven. But, you know, even if there was not a heaven, I am so pleased with what God has done to me on this earth that I don't feel I've deprived myself of anything. I've not lost anything. And I would be happy if this was all I had to deal with. I'd be happy. Now, I know there's a heaven because God has been so blessing down here and, answered, and fulfilled his word down here. I know there's a heaven because he says there is. And so I have no problem with saying I'm looking forward to heaven. But, you know, there was a song I heard a long time in the 70s. Uh, Evie used to sing it about just that, just that. If, even if there is no heaven, I'm happy. You know, I'm, I'm pleased. And I've really learned that. And I've learned that over the years. God has blessed in so many ways in this lifetime that I have no, no regrets. No regrets that I haven't gotten into all the different, you know, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you die, you know, Epicureanism, you know, that, you know, just get everything you can today because tomorrow, you know, tomorrow is the end. Uh, I haven't felt I've missed anything. And I hope that you all are at that same place with God, is that, you know, you know that everything is, is good. You're not missing old lifestyles. You're not missing old, old ways of doing things. You're not feeling like you're missing out because God is spoiling your fun. You know, that's the way teenagers usually think about parents. You know, you just don't want me to do things. You want to spoil my fun. No, I'm trying to keep you from killing yourself or, or regretting, your, you know, regretting what you did in those years in the future. And so often we're like teenagers with God. God, you're just trying to spoil my fun. And God's going, no, I just want you to have no regrets. I really miss the five grand a week, though. Five grand a week? <laughs> Well, it's. That was all covered under the union, though, pal. That's how it works. And there, and there is that, uh, you know, do we depend on God or do we depend on, on what we have? And I agree. There's times when I miss making the 80000 90000 a year that I used to make and, and getting a bill in and saying, okay, this is nothing. I can pay this bill. And, uh, but there's also nothing like what I have to do now and say, God, here's the bill. How are you going to pay for it? Uh, and he manages to pay for them. And it's amazing. I don't know how he does it. it it's fun sometimes. It's nerve-wracking sometimes because God likes to do things at the last minute because he wants to let, it, let you know that it's him doing it. And in one sense, I will be glad when he says, okay, you've had enough of this living by faith stuff, but if he wants me to live by faith the rest of my life, I'll live by faith the rest of my life. Uh, but Paul said he'd learned to... to to be content in much and in little. So I expect God at some point to allow me to have a little more than I have right now. But uh, it's just a matter of learning to trust God. And I agree, it was in some ways nicer to be able to say, okay, there's a $200 bill, dollar bill or a $300, or $400, or $500 you know, bill coming up next month and arrange things and say, okay, no big deal. Uh, but. God hasn't got me in that place anymore. And so I have to deal with, and you have to deal with, those same situations. And I have to work on my own car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have to work back on my own car again. I, I used to love being able to just pay somebody to work on my car. I hate working on cars, so it's, you know, to have to work on my own car again, you know, do my own oil changes and all that, that 
that does bug me a little bit, but. But, yeah, you can you can watch it. You can watch a, a, a video on how to do just about anything on a car, which is nicer than the old days when you had to read everything about it. Well, you had to go go to AutoZone, get a book, then read it, and then give it back because you couldn't afford to buy the book. Yeah, back in my day, I actually bought the book. Back in the well, when I was younger, the auto book, most of the auto books were actually good books. The ones you can buy nowadays are not very yeah. good. So, but uh, we are, it says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were at, in times past were far off, are now made nigh, were near by the blood of Jesus. We think about this, the blood of Jesus. We need to really think about that. And as we're studying in Exodus and, and class, the blood, the vitalness of the blood, when, he, when, when Paul is talking about the blood, he is talking about the sacrifice. The sacrifice of, that Jesus made to cover our sins, to be able to make us one with God, to, to atone for us so that we could be able to come into relationship with God. And it's because of Jesus' sacrifice, his willing sacrifice. He lived his life, he lived a perfect life, and he went to the cross willingly. He told Pilate, you're not, you know, Pilate says, you don't, don't you know that I have the power to keep you from, from death? And he goes, you'd have no power if it wasn't given to you. He told, he told his disciples that he could call 10,000 angels, you know, 10,000 angels to deliver him. Yeah, that would have been a good army to come against, you know, to save him. Uh, and yet he went. And I, and I picture the angels just like, you know, with the father, like, when are you going to let us go get him? They're going to kill him. You know, they're going to kill him. When are you, when are, you know, and God having to hold them back and saying, no, you can't go. You know, we're not going to rescue him on this one. This is something he has to do. And he shed his blood. He took the pain for us. He took the pain so that we would have access to God. Verse, verse 18, For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. The both here means Gentiles and Jews. And this is a great mystery that, that Paul talks about quite often in the New Testament. The fact that Gentiles were going to be able to be in a fellowship relationship with the Father. That was unknown. The Jews didn't accept that in the past. You, you had to become a Jew, full-fledged Jew, get circumcised, uh, agree to live that way and live by all 613 laws or, and, that, and you were no longer a Gentile, you were a proselytized Jew. You were a Jew not by birth but by choice. And Paul's going, the real miracle out there that God has always wanted the Gentiles to be part of his family without becoming Jews. And that's hard. That was probably very hard for Paul to accept, being a, being a good Jew, a, a strong Pharisee. The whole grace that says everybody can come in because of the blood of Christ and have the, be near God. It was mind-boggling. We don't even think about those in our, in our day because we don't, we don't uh, ever think about this. But, I, but still, the Orthodox Jew still thinks it's crazy that Christians... You know, if they want to believe in Christianity at all, the, the idea that a Gentile can have a relationship with their God 
still blows their mind. And for Jews in general, it blows their mind because they're special to their God's people. And so they're not, they, they have a hard time with this whole concept that Gentiles are made part of God's family and a relationship with God and that they are special. And we think about that. We don't think about that at all in our day and age. As being Gentiles, we never think about it unless we try to put ourselves in their, in their mindset. But here we have access to God. And we think about access. I looked it up in the, in the Greek and literally said access to God, that relationship with God whereby we are accepted to him and have assurance that he is favorably disposed to us. Favorably disposed to us. In other words, he likes us. <laughs> you know, so big fancy way to say it, he likes us. Isn't that amazing? The God of the universe actually likes us. And like is a little different than love. I mean, we always think of love as being a, a stronger emotion. But we as Christians learn agape love. And agape love is a choice. I choose to love somebody. And there's no emotion attached to, to that kind of love at all. God loves us with agape love. He chooses to love us. He will love us until he chooses not to. And because he doesn't change, he will not choose to not love us. When I do marriage counseling, it'll be the same type of thing. I teach people that they need to start with agape love. Now, they're going to get into other forms of love as they, as they go on, but their basis to their relationship must be agape. They have chosen to love that person. Because if you choose to love somebody, you can't come down later and say, well, I never loved you. Well, no, you said you chose to love me. You may be choosing to not love me now, but you can't say you didn't because you said you chose. My wife and I got married because we chose to love each other. Now, we loved each other in other, other emotional ways as well, in the, you know, but we chose to love each other, which has kept us through the hard times. When those times when we look at each other and say, who is this person st staying in the same house with me? It's like, no, I chose to love this person. And if you wait, you wait a period of time, within a few years, you'll be back to the emotional high and low. And it's a cycle just like everything else. <coughs> but a liking of somebody is a little different. You're feeling something, you know, there's a liking is that feeling back and forth that, that you're getting something out of the relationship and God is favorably disposed to us. He likes us. This is beyond his love. This is beyond his love that he gets to where he likes us. You know, it gets into the family love side of things. And that's a great, a great place to be. We have access to him. He likes us. He wants us in his presence. He wants us to come before his throne. It's just like when you have kids and, you, and you've had a hard day, but your kids just climb up in your lap and just want to be hugged and had a book read to them. It's, and you have that different type of love to them and say, okay, let's, let's spend some time together. Let's, let's play together. Well, I used to drive my wife crazy when I would pick the kids up and throw them up in the air and catch them and, and wrestle with them and had four kids and I'd make a stack of kids um, in, in front of me because they would be wrestling with me and then they got too big. It got harder to do. <laughs> but when they were little, I'd bake this big stack of kids. I used my oldest one first and the, you know, my daughter would be on top as the youngest one. You know, but you did things because you liked being with the family and God is that way with us. He likes 
our presence. He wants to be with us. He wants to have a relationship to us, and that is why Jesus died, so that we could be brought into his family and enjoy him. You know, God is, God is so, present, so present with us and so much loving with us. Any comments before we move on? Hebrews so chapter 4. <laughs> somewhat, somewhat there is a, a choosing to like, but also liking and, and certain parts of love is you get something in return. Oh. Uh, and that, and most people say they're in love with somebody, they're actually infatuated with them, and they're, and they're, and they're feeling that that person likes them, and they're getting the pleasure of being liked in return, and uh, Agape love doesn't have any of that. It's just, I choose to. I, it's a commitment that says, I'm going to like this person. I don't care whether they like me or not. Uh, uh, I'm going to choose to love this person and be kind to them. I may not get anything in return. And God knew that when he sent his son. There are going to be many millions and billions that reject God, even though Jesus died for them. And God's saying, I still love them. Even though they're going to reject me, I'm going to love them. When, he, when, we, when they stand in for the white throne judgment for having rejected Jesus and he sends them to hell, he is still going to love them even though they rejected him. And he's kind enough to say, I'm not going to force you to be in my presence. You didn't want anything to do with me. I'm not going to make you spend eternity in my presence. And he's going to give them what they, what they desired on this earth, not to know God. And when people say, well, I'm going to go to heaven because God's not going to send anybody to hell, they don't really understand anything about God. They don't understand his righteousness. They don't understand that he's going to give them exactly what they wanted. They didn't want anything to do with him on earth. He's not going to make them spend eternity with him. And that is sad, but it should also motivate us to share God's love with others so that they'll want to, to, they'll want to experience God. The scriptures tell us we love him because he first loved us. And he gave a sacrifice. Our job as Christians is to show that love to others so that they will be attracted to the God that loves them and be able to respond positively to him. And the sad thing is there are so many people out there that say they're Christians that live such a life that, people, that it repels people from God. And we've all met or, or known somebody that was that way in our lifetime that you look at them and say, if that's Christianity, <laughs> I don't want anything to do with it. And then us Christians look at them and say, and, we, and we're sad because they're giving such a bad testimony for Christ. And like, oh man, you know, you're ruining the reputation of Christ in this, to these people. And it is important that we, we live a life that sh they see Christ. And hopefully you have been, you live a life that somebody has asked you, why are you different from, you know, maybe why are you, if you know people and it's just been a short time, why are you so different today than you were a year ago? But if you walk more and more with God, why are you different from everybody else? Why are you, why do you not get down? Why do you, how can you, you know, resist the temptation so, you know, so easily? And people will look at you. The very people who make fun of you at one, on one day will be the ones that were watching your life and at some point in life time will come and say, I need what you have. I need what you have. Because they may tease you and say, well, you're, you know, you're a holy roller, you're, you know, you're, you're weird, you don't, you know. But they're looking at you and seeing that joy, they're seeing that love for God, they're seeing that you have changed 
And eventually they'll, when, they're, when they kind of hit toward rock bottom and they say, you know, this person has something I don't have. I don't know what it is, maybe this God thing that they talk about, but I want to know more about what it is they have. And they'll come to you, they'll come for you, to you for advice and you make sure that it's, you know, godly advice and try to lead them to God in the process. Because people want God. They want what we represent when we live according to God. And that, again, as we've talked about, is not me living it, it's God living through me with Jesus Christ being lifted up in that process and then people are being drawn to him. They'll use me as the person to talk to and you as the person to talk to, but they're looking for God. And they're looking for that strength that makes you different. And I've, when I've lived life and I've talked with people, and you know, it was always funny when I was in the, in the world and people go, well, how long have you been married? And at that time it was in the 20s. And, you know, and I'm going, and they go, wow, that's a long time. I go, no, I'm just getting started. I'm just getting started. We're, we've now been married almost going on 33 years, and we're just getting started. I don't plan for it to end as long as God isn't, isn't coming back. I plan to be married to the same person and letting God be an example to those who are having trouble. Because I've had people come to me, oh, well, how did you, you know, how did you get through this? And it gave me an opportunity to present God to them. That it's all God, and it's all choices made by God. And so we live a life. We live a life that pushes off the different sins, and people look at us and say, why are you different? How come? And a lot of times it'll be our family members that have watched us for a long time, and they see that difference in us. And they're going, you have changed. I need to know how or why. It'll be friends that look at you and say, oh, you're so different in the way you think and the way, way you act. Coworkers, whatever it is, they look at you and say, I want to know more about this, this Jesus you, you're talking about. And so we want to be able to look at that and help that. Rome, uh, Hebrews 4, starting at verse 14. Seeing then that we have this great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we were, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in time of need. All right, we're going to look at this. Seeing that we have this great high priest. What, what, what do you think Paul is meaning when he talks about high priest? I'm going to have somebody talk to me because we've talked a lot about high priests in the Exodus class. For those who, What is the high priest? What, what's special about the high priest? Aaron, Aaron. Aaron. Aaron was the first high priest. They go into the Holy of Holies once a year. They go into the Holy of Holies. They, they bring that sacrifice for the atonement. They, they also were the one that did the major feast. They would be the one that performed the, the major sacrifices. During all the other times, it was any, any Levi, you know, any of the priesthood could do this. But during the, the high feasts the, the, that were talked to, they were the ones that performed it. They were, they were special. They were the one that represented the people to God. They took the blood of the atonement lamb and took and, and put it on the mercy seat and got the forgiveness of, and brought the forgiveness upon the people. The high priest, when Paul's talking about the, or whoever wrote Hebrews, <laughs> uh, uh, when he was talking about the high priest, they're thinking about the high priest in the temple. 
that, that is bringing the atonement. And he says, we have this high priest, talking about Jesus. Jesus died. He took his blood to heaven and put it on the mercy seat of heaven. And we're at the mercy seat where God sits in heaven. Sprinkled the blood in heaven saying, Father, they're forgiven. I've covered, I've covered the sin. I've covered their sin. He's the high priest. And he went to heaven with that. And he says he's passed into the heavenlies. And it says, let us hold fast this profession. What profession? We're forgiven. We are forgiven. This is precious when we think about it. That we are forgiven. God sees no sin. He sees only have you accepted Jesus Christ or rejected Jesus Christ. This is powerful for us when we think about it. And it also teaches us how we are to treat others, that they are forgiven. They need Jesus. Our job on this, in this planet is to give people Jesus. Make them make that decision. You know, you've sinned, you deserve hell, Jesus paid for it. Are you going to accept the free gift that he's offered you? Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is, the, is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. All those that call upon his name shall be saved. Because it takes Jesus to get us access to God, to get us forgiven. So, very important. You know. And Jesus, it says in verse 15, We have not a high priest which has not been touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but in, was at all points tempted like we are. Infirmities? Uh, sins, temptations, sicknesses. Uh, Jesus spent at least 33, maybe 34, I kind of think it's 34 years on this earth starting out as a baby. That in and of itself is an amazing thing because every time you read any of the mythology, the gods come down and they present themselves as adults. But Jesus came, he became an infant. He had to learn to talk. He had to learn to walk. He had to learn to crawl. The creator of the universe, who everything was made through, was made an infant totally defenseless. Had to be taken care of by a mother and a father, or he would have been dead in, in no time at all. Herod tried to kill all the children because Satan moved him to try to destroy the Messiah. He had to learn. He had to learn all this stuff. He was tempted. He went through the teen years where the hormone rages and everything that all teens go through and the, and the temptations that come along with that time of, of your season of your life. He was tempted in the wilderness by the, by the devil directly. And that was not the only time he was ever tempted. Don't ever think that those at that, you know, in, the, in the wilderness was the only time he was tempted by Satan. He would have been tempted all of his lifetime. He would have been tempted with the same temptations we were and are. And all temptations boil down to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Okay, You see something, and it grabs your attention, and you want it. You, you desire things. Now, he, the one advantage he had that we don't have is that he had no sin nature. But the temptations were the same for him as they were for Adam and Eve who fell. Adam and Eve had no sin nature. They were just tempted and decided that 
hey, that looks really good. I'm going to take it. I'm going to take this fruit because it's going to make me like God. It was desirable to them. There was a lust for that fruit. Even though they had no sin nature, there was this desire that it was going to give them something they didn't have. And he was tempted, just like everybody else, in every way except he did not fall. It says, therefore, therefore, because we have this high priest, he has offered his blood, therefore, come boldly into the throne of grace. Sunday we talked all about grace, what, what grace is. God giving us everything that we don't deserve. You know, and we're not talking about punishment. We're talking about all kinds of good stuff. Peace that passes understanding, love, peace. You know, just all these things that we get from him. He says, come boldly before the throne of grace where God sits. We come boldly. We don't come sneaking into God's presence. Uh, God, maybe if possibly you have some time to talk to me, I'd like to. No, it's God, hi, God, hi Father, I'm here to talk to you. We're not sneaking in hoping that he'll see us. We're looking in and saying, my God has all the time in the world and wants me to be in his presence. I come boldly. I'm not sneaking into his presence. I'm not cowering as I come into his presence. I am there because he wants me there and he's going to let me come and be his child. And that is the greatest thing that we can have. There's stories all over the place of executives and, and, and rich people that people can't get into their presence, but their kids have been given permission to come and see them. Sometimes very busy executives will say, if my, if my children call or my wife calls, I don't care what I'm doing, put it into the office. I put it into my, you know, send the phone call to me. Why? Because they're their family and they're placing their family first. Now, not all executives do that. Some get so you know, worked up in work that they go, no, nobody, you know, I don't care who it is. They don't get through because I'm busy doing important stuff. But for God, there's nothing more important to him than his family. Come into him. Come into his presence. And do it boldly. You know, it, and he wants, you know, and the thing is, he wants to do good for us. He is not some stingy person up there saying, oh, there's no way I'm giving... I'm not giving them anything because, you know, they got to pry it out of my hands. I'm, he wants to do good for us. Now, he knows that if we're not going to use it to his glory and all we want to do is use it for ourselves, we probably won't get it. Because he's looking at us and saying, I want you to use this for the right reasons. I don't want you to hoard all the money that I give you into the bank and never use it for anything. He's going, I want you to use it. I want you to use it freely. And then if we use it freely and for his honor, he gives us more that we can use for ourselves as well. Uh, we look at different people who have made billions of dollars and they've given away millions and God just poured it on them and said, here, <laughs> yeah. because you're using it for my kingdom and my glory, I'm going to give you lots. And, it, and a little small portion of a lot <laughs> is a lot for you. Uh, there's a couple of people in history that have been businessmen that have given God 90% and they've lived on 10% and they were millionaires because you know, they, they gave God and they knew that you can't outgive God. God wants to give it to us. And he even tells us that if we give it to him sparingly, he'll give, to, give back to us sparingly. If we give him, give him you know, in abundance, he'll give back to us in abundance. 
That does not mean like those who, who teach, you know, prosperity gospel that you, you know, God has got to give you. You give God a certain amount. He's got to give you a bun bunch back. But if you're given to him with the right attitude, he gives back. It's amazing what it does. It's, it's amazing to me that you, you give God his part, and the reward is that what you got left goes so much further. It's, a, it's sometimes amazing, as little as I make, and I give my, 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 my tithe and my offering, and watch that God still meets my needs. Still meets my needs, because I'm just saying, God, you said you, said you want it, I'm going to give it to you. And... Believe me, sometimes I look at that check and go on, okay, God, there's a, there's a red line on my, uh, in my screen here that shows that I'm going to be under. You need to give me some money or lower some of the bills. Whichever way you do it, God, I don't care. And he does it. The red line becomes a black line. Um, I use a computer program, and, you know, try, you know, and I put the whole month's bills in at one time. I see this great big red line at the bottom and say, okay, God, there's your number. <laughs> It's got my offerings and tithes and all that. And, you know, God, there's your number. And you know what? He keeps meeting it. And it's amazing to me that he cares enough for his children to do these kind of things. We honor him, and he gives, us, he gives back to us. And sometimes I get to the end of the, a month or a year, and I'm going, God, I don't know how you did it, but you did it. And it is fun watching God do things. It's fun. I love watching God. I love God doing something as simple as that for me. I love watching lives get changed. I really do. And hopefully as the, these messages go out over the internet, people will start emailing us and saying about how their lives have changed. And maybe we'll get some salvations out of it. I don't know what, what all is going to happen from this. All I'm doing is saying, God, this is where you want us. I was sharing earlier, we're having 10 to 13 hits on the messages you know, right now each month. I don't know who all is listening to him. I got a call from California. On the internet. I got a call from California. My buddy's following right along. So, but people are listening. Yeah. People are listening out there. We're, we're going to get to heaven, and there's going to be some kind of reward because God will says these are the people whose lives were touched. And it won't be just me who gets it. It'll be everybody in this church who's given money to help support the church because the church pays for the internet. It, I'm just the tool God's using to speak it, but the church has helped put it out there. He hasn't been to church in 44 years, and now he's, he brought him to Jesus again. Oh, good. Wow. Hebrews 10. Starting at verse 21. And having a high priest over the house of God... Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. So again, he's talking about a high priest, Jesus. And he says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Full assurance, total confidence, total confidence that we can come before God. And I love, I really love that. I think a lot about how, how wonderful the gift is that we can come before God. You know, there are, there are religions out there that you don't feel comfortable coming before God. 
In the Muslim world, Allah is a God of hatred and, and, and judgment. He's not a God of love. He's not a God that loves them. There's no real desire to come before him. If you're, if you're with the, the Jehovah's Witnesses, you're really not sure of who you are unless you're part of the 144,000. You're good enough to be part of them. Otherwise, you're, you might be lucky because, again, they all boil down to doing more good than bad, and you're hoping that you're going to be at least in God's presence on this earth. Uh, you know, the Mormons are, again, the same type. They, they're always worried about, have I done enough good to get over the bad that I've done? Every religion is based on that. More good than bad and you're okay. And God is saying, we have absolute, full assurance that we're accepted by God, not because of anything I've done, but because of the blood of Christ shed for me. And I hope you really understand the power of that assurance. I don't have to worry becoming before God because I am forgiven because of the blood of Christ. Nothing I do is not covered by the blood of Christ. So important for us to grab hold of that. It gives us our great assurance. It tells us I can come before God. I have that assurance to draw near him of faith. Of faith. And it's the idea that God, you did do this. I accept that. And I'm, my hearts are sprinkled from an evil conscience. The sprinkling to the writer of Hebrews was the same idea. When, the, when they made the tabernacle, the first thing they did on the tabernacle was they made the offering for sin, and they took the blood, and they sprinkled it on all the furnishings of the temple. They sprinkled it upon the priest. They anointed with blood his right ear, right thumb, and right toe. And anybody remembering why they why they why they put blood upon the right right ear, right thumb, and right toe? Does anybody remember that? Because that's where the blood flows. No, hearing was to be sanctified. What you did with your hands, your work was sanctified, and your big toe was your walk. How you lived was sanctified. Okay, right hand side because that is the side of approval. All right, that's the side of approval. We still have a term, my right hand man or right hand person, and we mean this is the person, I couldn't do anything without this person because I depend on them so fully. They have my approval, okay? So we still have that thought in our, in our, in our vocabulary, all right? Sprinkled, the blood was sprinkled, and here he's, here he's bringing that out. And this means a lot to this, this, the writer of Hebrews. He's writing to Hebrews. When he says they sprinkled, he's thinking exactly of what was done in the temple. When the high priest brings in the, the, the Yom Kippur blood to the, to, the, to the mercy seat, he sprinkles the blood on the mercy seat so that the people would be forgiven of their sins. So when he's got, this means so much more to the, the Hebrew when they read this, and that's why I bring this out. Because we would read this saying, oh, Okay, our hearts are sprinkled from the evil conscience. Who cares? What big deal? That's a huge deal in the, per, in the writer's mind and to his target audience. He's talking about forgiveness of sin because of the blood that has been shed, and it goes over our evil conscience. Think about that, our conscience. Our conscience convicts us. Our conscience is what 
teaches, tells us that we've done wrong, the blood goes over that. We are not to be convicted. Okay? We, excuse me, we're not to be condemned. We are to be convicted. <laughs> we're, we're, the Holy Spirit comes in and he convicts us of sin and he wants us to repent. Satan wants us to be condemned and driven away from God. The blood goes over our, over our, over our hearts and says, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. And it says, our bodies washed with pure water. Again, this is a reference to the temple. There's, remember that there's the, bra the brass laver which has the water in it. They would leave the altar, they'd go to the water, and they would wash their hands for service in the pure water in the laver. The water is referring to the Word of God that washes us. We get into the Word of God and He washes our conscience. He washes our service. He washes the way we think. He changes the way we think. And this is what's so important. The more we get to know God through His Word, through His teaching, the more He changes the way we think. The more you change the way you think, the more open you are to receive more of how to change your way of thinking. And the more you change the way you think, the more you realize that things around you are sinful. The more you will pray for the people because you start seeing the sin that they're committing. You start, and he's not changing you so that you'll condemn everybody and, and get on their case, but he's changing you so that he will be drawn to prayer. You will be kept away from sin. You'll be drawn to prayer for those who are caught up in those sins. And the most important thing that we want to remember, it takes time to get there. It takes time to get there. You learn to walk with God. You learn to grow with God, just as any child learns to do anything. And we learn. Now, with greater, you know, the more you're in God's Word and the, and the more you're listening to teachers, the faster you'll get, get there. And we always have to remember when we look at others. I didn't get to where I am overnight. I've been following God for 44 years. I'm, I didn't get to where I am overnight, so I'm never going to expect people to be where I'm at. Because it's going to take people, you know, at least 20 or so years to get to where I'm at if they, if they really listen. But it could take them 44 years to get. But even at that, there's places where people have grown and they're, they're further advanced than I am in certain areas and less advanced, and I'm the same way with that. Each one of us grows at a different rate in different areas. And that's why we can't judge another person because we don't know what God's worked in their life. And they might be light years ahead of us in some area where they're, and we're looking at something where they're falling and failing. And if we looked at their whole life, we'd go, well, I wish I was where they were in some other area. And so we want to be careful. And this is why we're not to judge other people because they are God's servant. They are... They are following him in the way that God has raised them up. And it's so important because God knows what we need. God knows what we need to walk with him. He knows what trials I'm going to face tomorrow. And my trials tomorrow are not going to be the same as anybody else's trials tomorrow. And each person in this room are going to have a different trial tomorrow than anybody else in the room. And God's going to say, I want to make you prepared for it. He'll get us into the Word. He'll show us what we need to be for the trial we will face. And yet, He wants us to be set before Him. He says, I want you to be sprinkled with the blood so you're forgiven, 
and washed for service. Washed for service so that we are doing everything in Him. And how many times have we talked about this? It's, God says, anything that I do in my flesh is not acceptable to Him. No flesh will stand before God. He'll look at it and say, you did that on your own, it doesn't count. And I'm even saying that even if it's a good thing that we do in the flesh, it doesn't stand before him. I, I talked to one of the pastors last week in a pastor's meeting. And I'm going, you know, it's been amazing to me how God has revealed that so many of us pastors have a lot that's going to burn up because we did it in our flesh and we didn't let God work for it. Even though it was good, maybe even people got saved, they, they heard something they needed, but I did it because of my knowledge in the word, it's not going to stand. So people who are very active with God and do things week in, week out, they actually have a harder place to be because so much of what they do can be done in the flesh. And so much of it will be burnt up and no reward. People tend to look at pastors and say, wow, look, he's just so special. He gets to preach every day. He gets to do all this. And, and that is true in one sense. I have the, the privilege of teaching people God's word. But I have to be very careful that it's not me teaching it. Do it in God. Doing it in God. Not ourselves. Not ourselves. The flesh has to be crucified and God has to pour out of me. And so sometimes having to do something week in, week out is actually a, a burden that may cause you to lose reward. And we want to always remember, if you're doing what God has called you to do, then you should be happy. Sometimes it's probably a privilege not to have a lot of responsibilities because the word tells us that many of you ought not to be teachers because the condemnation is greater. Teachers have a greater condemnation because we can lead people astray very easily if we're not listening to God. And God says that we need to take that with a very holy and spiritual outlook because it is important. It is important. And why? It doesn't release the person who, didn't, who listens and doesn't pay attention and listen to the word. They're still guilty. But the teacher sets the foundation. And I think children's teachers especially have the problem because they're teaching a foundation to somebody who doesn't even know how to think it through. And I've seen people, I've seen adults who've said, learn something in the scriptures and go, wow, that's not what I was taught when I was in Sunday school. And that means for years, decades, they believed incorrectly because some teacher taught them incorrect doctrine at an early age. And unless they find a teacher in their adult life, they could be, they could be believing wrong things about God. And it's critical. It is critical that we teach correctly. Now, now we, we doesn't, like I say, it doesn't let the listener, the, 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 the student off. It just means you know, the teacher has a higher responsibility. And we want to live with God. We want to be purged. We want to walk with God. We want to be able to be sprinkled with the blood so that we are forgiven and then washed. Once we're forgiven, we are forgiven. Now we need to keep washing our mind with the renewing of the word. We need to keep transforming our mind because it takes, it's something that doesn't happen just overnight. God says he puts a line upon line, precept upon precept. He teaches a little bit and a little bit and a little bit. And over time, we start realizing, I'm starting to think more like God. I'm starting to think more like God. You, you spend 60 years studying God's word, and then you still say, I'm starting to think a little bit like God. Because God's thoughts are so infinitely higher than ours, 
even if you were lucky and got started at four or five, and I mean really started studying God's word and making sure it affected your life, and you studied it till you were 125, and actually applying it, you would still only be starting to think like God. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts, and they will always be higher than our thoughts. When we go to heaven, we will be learning for eternity and drawing closer to God's thoughts and never arriving, because if we arrived, we would be God. He will always be greater than us. And we want to keep that in mind. He's always greater than us. If, the, if we could understand God and we could know everything he thought, we would be God. And we would have too small a God. Our God is so great that he will always be greater than us. For all of eternity, he will be greater than us. We will never think just like him. We will be learning. Now, once we're glorified, we won't have to worry about sin anymore. And the best news about that will also be that we don't have to worry about forgetting what we've learned. We can always build on new material. Because so much of the time on earth, we're having to relearn something. And we relearn it and go, well, I thought I knew this, but I forgot it. <laughs> and it's still in the brain, but we kind of forget it. That's why the Word of God is quick. It's alive. It will change us whether we consciously remember it or not. It will it'll stick in our brains and, and, and start tying together and being tied together with other, other things that we learn about him. And before long, we're learning some fantastic things. And we get revelations that we never really understood before. And, we start, and he starts drawing it all together and says, this is who I am. And then we start thinking about that he's more than whatever we think. Always remember that God is more than anything that you think. Anything that you think you know about God, there's more. He's always greater than anything that we think. And I want to encourage you. I've been studying him for years, and he's always greater than anything I think. And I always get new truth added upon what I think I know. And it's so amazing that it will always be that way. He's always going to be giving you something new to contemplate on. You will never outknow God. You'll never outgive God. You'll never outlove God. When you think you're really loving somebody, he'll give you some some other person to love or some other characteristic about that person to challenge whether you love them because he wants you to depend upon him. And any time that you think you stand, be careful because God will show you that you're not, not standing. And that's what I've said many, many times. Don't ever say, I'll never do something because God will test that statement for you very, very harshly. Uh, if, you get, if you've gotten victory over some sin, don't say, I'll never fall in that sin, because you might just find yourself falling for that sin if you're not careful. If your dependency is on anything other than God, you will fall. It is just a guaranteed thing, you will fall, because God will not let our flesh stand in those, those areas of victory. He's not going to let you say, I got victorious over this. It's, we got victorious over it because of God. I don't do whatever the sin is because God has given me the victory over it. He's given me the power over it. If I go, look at what I have done, God will say, okay, let me see what you've done. <laughs> and it won't be anything. It'll fall. And we want to be careful about that because God is the one that sprinkles us. He's the one that washes our mind. He's the one that gives us strength. And he is the one that builds us up. Any comments? Actually, preach this time on basically. Pride before the fall. Pride goes before the fall. Yeah. Look, ma, no hands, and then you crash, and you, know, you hit a rock. Yeah, that's what the scriptures say. Pride cometh before the fall. All right, let's pray. 
Lord, we thank you for this time that we've had. We ask you to be with us. Help us to really understand how much you love us, that you care for us. Help us always to focus on you. We are sinners. We will fail, but we ask that you help us more and more to focus on you and to walk, walk the walk that you would have us to, to walk, which is you living through us. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.